Thank you, Brian, and thank you, church family, uh, for gathering with us here on this uh, Labor Day. Uh, we know that many are people are traveling and have different things going on, so we appreciate you guys coming here on this holiday weekend to spend time uh, with your church family, that you see this as being uh, valuable and important to you, and so we're very thankful for that you have gathered. My name is Eric Baker, and I'm one of the pastors here and the teaching pastor here at Mission, and so we're working through the book of Exodus, and so if you'd be so kind to grab a Bible or look at your device or reach out in front of you, uh, there should be a black Bible located. If you do not have a Bible, then please take that Bible as a gift from us to you. So Exodus uh, chapter 20 is where we are today in God's Word. And so uh, it is a very short verse, very short verse here uh, today. And that is this, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not Murder. You shall not murder. Let's go home. Right? Uh, pretty easy, we would think, in reading this passage of Scripture from our God to just look at those words, you shall not murder. In the actual Hebrew language, there's actually two words in that sentence. And it's like, don't murder. That's what it is. That's why we have the beautiful title here today uh, for this a sermon series of being those very words. Don't murder. And so since um, there have only been a few people in my life that I've been around that have been supposedly even told uh, that they uh, have been accused, uh, one of them being my great-grandfather was accused, actually went to trial for killing a man. Um, and then my dad used to work with a man, and um, every time I was a little kid and we were around that man, this man was like the nicest man in my hometown. And my dad would always be like, you know, that man, he killed a man. And I'd be like, what? And that's exactly the way my dad sounded, uh, like Colonel Sanders. Um, but this idea of just don't, don't do that. Like you don't come across very many people uh, who have killed other people, whether it's by accidents or, or on purpose, right? Um, and yet we see within God's constitution for his new kingdom is that within that is this establishment that we, this command, do not kill, do not murder, all right? So as we're working through this text, as we've been working through all of the other commandments, we've been using this kind of outline for us to help us understand God's word and who God is. And so we've been looking at the passage and then asking the question is, what does this reveal about God? How does this confront us as human beings? Um, how is this affected by the incarnation of Jesus? And then trying to look uh, very briefly at some application points. And what's great about starting our MCs, our missional communities, this week is that we take today's teaching and we develop some questions for that. And we encourage you over the next several days to continue to read over this passage, to answer those questions. And then we really look, man, how does this engage us um, as the people of God um, in his word. And, and so we encourage you once again to, to join us this week as we look at those missional communities. And so when we start out in this passage of scripture, it's going to ask the question then is what does this reveal about God? When God tells us in his word, don't murder, what is he ultimately saying about himself? Well, we see that within Scripture, the whole counsel of Scripture, that the Lord is saying something very clear, 
And first and foremost, that he is the giver and the taker of life. That he is the responsibility, that he is the author and the finisher, that he is um, set before himself and a life for all people that will be created, that there is a time to live and that there is a time to die, and yet he is responsible for that. And so that he is the life giver. We also see in this passage that he is the one uh, that is uh, the, the image bearer, the creator of uh, life, and that he has bestowed upon us his very image. And that as image bearers of God that we see inside the book of Genesis that the Bible tells us uh, in the Trinity itself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we should create them, let us go down, let us create them in our image. That we see that all of humanity, past, present, and future, are shadows, reflections in some way of the Holy God. That whether you like them or not really has no bearing on that, that they are an image bearer of God. If we think they're the worst people inside of our history, now being an image bearer does not mean that these people are saved, and yet they're still what? Image bearers of God. Their life to God has some sort of value to it. Now, when we look at this terminology, and the Bible would tell us, you shall not murder. If you grew up on the King James, like I did, then you would know that it says, thou shalt not kill. That's actually not a very good translation. Um, the, the, the better translation for this particular Hebrew word, to take someone's life, is the word for, for murder. It, it means, or excuse me, quickly, it does not mean these things. Uh, the term here, don't murder, um, has nothing to do with military action. All right, So God would say that there is actually a time for war and the taking of lives. Uh, we see that even in the scripture, that there's a thing called just war, and that God would even send people to take the lives of other people. Well, that's not what the Lord is speaking about here. Now, he is also not talking about capital punishment. Capital punishment is often, it's instituted inside of the scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, that even uh, we see capital punishment being used. Now, uh, that means that it should be done, I think, with great patience and that it should be pursued for the truth, all of those sorts of things. We should not have an express lane for capital punishment, but that the punishment does as well fit the crime. We see that within the Old Testament of people being stoned to death and being put to death for their very crimes. Even Paul would allude to this in Romans chapter 13 when he tells us that we need to be submissive to our rulers and authorities, that government, when it's doing what it's supposed to do, is to protect us from evil people, all right? And, and also, a lot of people have tried to use this in some way to uh, cause us to abstain from the killing of animals, particularly for food, that we should not hunt and fish and uh, you should not kill the spider that is in your house, all these sorts of things, because the Bible says, don't murder. Well, that's not what the Hebrew term means here. Uh, the Hebrew understanding of, of what this is, is that the understanding is that God is, is not a pacifist. There is a time to take human life. But in this particular command, what God is telling us is that he is a preserver of life. Okay? God is not the cosmic God out there with a giant microscope or, or uh, yeah, microscope kind of just trying to burn out humanity. 
Um, but rather there does come a point in time where these sorts of things do need to take place. But in general sense, God's character and his nature is, is that, again, he places great value upon his created order, on his very creation. He is a preserver of life. And so if he is a, pervers, a perver, preserver, can't get it out this morning, um, then we as well must take great value in the lives of other people. The word murder in the Hebrew is the purposeful, unlawful uh, taking of a human life. The taking of a human life puts the person, the murderer, um, in the position of authority and judge and king over life. And what do we know about God? Is our God will not share his throne with anyone. He will not share that. It attempts, when we take someone's life, it attempts to, to rob God of his glory, to rob God of his purpose in creation. And again, it places a human in that position that only God should be sitting in when we practice these sorts of things. So even when God takes a life, or commands other people to take these lives, we need to understand that he is not breaking his good and moral and gracious and merciful character. This passage of Scripture asks us this question, what is the motivation behind us taking the life of someone else? And clearly, God himself is not pleased in this process. In Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 it says say to them as I live declares the Lord God I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn back turn back from your evil ways for why will you die O house of Israel we see that in God's goodness, in his character, and in his nature, yes, there comes a point in time when life must be taken, and yet, even when that takes place, we should not be, as God is not, re, uh, not rejoicing in the fact that the evil person is dead, that there is the, both a thankfulness for their justice that justice has been served, and yet it should not be a praiseworthy, joyful occasion. Maybe you remember back a few years ago, it was really interesting as a believer, specifically a believer living in America, um, because over the last, and we're coming upon the anniversary of something called 9-11, right? When our country was radically shaped and formed. And if you remember when our United States troops were able to catch or to kill Osama bin Laden, what happened in our streets? There was praising and rejoicing and partying, right? Because the evil man is dead. And yet, for us who are in Christ, there should be a thankfulness um, that these tyrants have come to justice. And yet, simultaneously, because we want to be like God, we should not be gloating in the death of our enemy. Why? Well, from our all perceived understanding, Osama bin Laden was not a follower of Jesus. He was an enemy of God. He will experience something much worse 
than the United States Army, he will experience the full brunt of divine wrath poured out on him forever and ever and ever. And the Lord Jesus himself would tell us to love our enemies. And so you feel that tension that we have of thankfulness for justice and yet simultaneously not rejoicing, especially in the eternal justice of those people, of of the lost ones. We will thank God for that. We thank God for his good character and his nature, um, but we we really need to understand both him and for us uh, this tension of both thankfulness and uh, not celebrating uh, necessarily the, the, the eternal damnation of people who are apart from God. So we see, man, who is God in this passage, and yet we must also come to grips with, well, what does this passage mean for us? How does it identify us? How does it challenge us in the way that we live? Well, if we all go back to the garden, the Garden of Eden inside of the book of Genesis, uh, we see that there is what between the image bearers of God and God himself? That there is peace. That there is peace between Adam and Eve. Imagine being married as Adam and Casey are about to get hitched this next week as we celebrate that. And imagine um, your marriage, their marriage, a place where it wasn't two sinful people who got married. But it was two people who were good and holy and right. Wouldn't your marriage be a whole lot easier? That's what I keep telling Laura. If she would just be perfect like me, we would totally get along all the time. Inside the first marriage, inside their home, inside their sanctuary, guess what there was? Perfection, goodness, holiness. They were both image bearers, reflectors, shadows of God, and they got married. And they were at peace with each other, and they were at peace with God. But then, sin and death comes into the world. Sin and death comes to the image bearers of God, tainting them, transforming um, their very natures into uh, very creatures of sin and Satan and death. They were now at war with each other, and they were at war with God. We see them, um, be eat, they were once eating from this tree of life, and in this culture of life, to being removed from that place and now are living in a culture of death. Due to the fall of humanity and its rebellion against God, we now live in that same culture of violence and murder and death. If you remember, inside the curses that come um, to Adam and Eve and the serpent, you follow me? This is in uh, Genesis chapter 3. There is laced in those pa- that passage as well a hope. A hope that one day that a seed from Eve, a son from Eve, would come and crush the head of the serpent. It's the proto-evangelion. That's a big fancy way of saying it's the first presentation of the gospel or promise of the gospel inside of the Bible. And it's already in Genesis chapter 3. But you can imagine that Adam and Eve don't know everything that we know, right? 
And the Bible would tell us that in Genesis chapter 4 that they give birth to a son, a son named Cain. And you've got to believe in that moment as you celebrate the firstborn in your house uh, that they were celebrating the birth of this son, possibly believing that he would be the killer, that he would be the murderer of sin, Satan, and death itself, that Cain would kill the serpent. And yet, a few verses in, what do we begin to see? That Cain is an evil man. That Cain is not the killer of the serpent. But that Cain is the killer of his own brother. Quickly, we realize this. As Cain realized this. We cannot kill God. And so what do we do? We kill his image bearers. It was God's decision in what happened between Cain and Abel and their, their gifts before the Lord, was it not? It was God that decreed that one was good and one was not. It was not the, the brother Abel, but it was God. But you can't lay a hand on God. There's nothing that you can do to God. And so what, because of our sinful nature, swells amongst us? It swells anger and envy. We cannot touch a holy living God, but we can kill his image bearers. And that is exactly, ladies and gentlemen, what Cain did. And since that experience that we have all been wrestling with those same things. Confession time. During COVID, we had a lot more free time, many of us. Our schedule looks very different. Uh, you, you could essentially work all day and, and, and change your schedule around for many of us. And so, uh, Laura and I found ourselves, um, especially later at night, becoming obsessed with um, serial killer shows on Netflix. Anybody join us? Sinners. And if you've noticed anything about serial killers on Netflix, is that the more they do it, the more they kill these victims, the more they die themselves. What was once, uh, you know, uh, these crimes of passion, and maybe they even experienced some sort of fear or all these sorts of things, that there is this common denominator found inside of these serial killers that they, they begin to, to die themselves. Like what, what once drove them to this fantasy experience or being scared or all these sorts of things, it, it no longer did that. So not only are they killing other human beings, but something within them is simultaneously dying. I had a professor one time, I was sitting in his house, and uh, we were having a conversation about the Lord and, and discussing some different things. And um, at the time, I did not understand what he was saying. He's well known uh, for being a futurist and for exegeting images. And he talks in a language that you and I do not understand. Um, and I was sitting at his house and he began to tell us inside of this class of 12 folks he said um, in a very distinct way, because uh, this friend of mine and professor, he, he looks like Captain Nemo, if you remember him from 2000 Leagues on the Sea. And um, he says in this graspy voice, he was like, I think that the new pornography is the pornography of violence. And 
And I did not have a clue of what he meant. Ten years removed from that conversation, I do. What he, what he was saying on that day in that class is that there is going to become a time inside of especially American life and culture where in this, this culture of violence and murder and death is that we will become violent porn addicts. And I'm not talking about um, like violence within sexual immoral pornography. I am talking about the obsession that we have with crime, murder, death, seeing people die, the movies that we watch, the video games that we play, that it will become as addictive as sexual pornography for us. And ladies and gentlemen, isn't it creepy? The brother was right. Right now, if you were to go to the TV guide, remember that thing? If you could go back in time a few days, if you could look on your, your Netflix account, if you could look at the amount of movies that are coming out, if you could scan through the guide on, on your spectrum or whatever thing that you're watching cable television on and you remove everything that was about crime, violence, and death, there would be very little to watch, right? Other than like Blippy, that dude. And he's going to make you want to kill him, right? Sesame Street, cow, you know, all the things that our kids watch. There's, but even in those shows, there's the illusion of, I mean, I used to love G.I. Joe as a kid, but what I, as I got older, one of the things I realized is like there's tons of violence, but no one ever dies. Like these are the terrible shooters. They're like all stormtroopers. Like they cannot hit a person. But let's think about it. I mean, the things that we love, many of them, our forms of entertainment have become forms of watching other, whether make-believe or real, play out violent acts. I will not watch the Predators on television. That's a hockey team in Nashville, Smashville. But I love going to them because I love joining with 20,000 other people praying for a fight. Like, we care absolutely nothing about hockey, but, buddy, we hope there's a fight. NASCAR, let's drive left on a Sunday for four hours. Woo-hoo. But if you go, there's 80,000 people doing what? Praying for a wreck. We are consumed with, with just violent activities and watching violent activities. And, and though you and I may not be uh, serial killers, and I hope that we are not, um, we too begun to die. To violence. Things aren't gross to us anymore. We often root for the anti-hero, right? We want the bad people to die. Am I the only one? We love good action movies and shows. And it's violence porn. It is now acceptable for us. 
This particular don't murder and this understanding of murder would extend. And I say, say all of that to extend to you this, like how we are consumed in this culture of death. This particular passage of scripture, though, it points to the removal, like we need to not be participating in, contributing to, and supporting of three major roles or types of murder. The first one being the taking of another human life, like premeditated, planned out murder. Over, from the statistics that I've read recently, is like there's over 6,000, 16 thousand murders per year in America. I mean, recently we had a lady in our own community get so mad at a man that she shot him to death with a BB gun in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. I've been shot a few times. This understanding and this idea of taking someone's life to be so angry, to be so upset with, to take revenge upon yourself and to go to take someone's life, the Bible is telling us as the people of God, do not do this. Vengeance is the Lord. He is responsible for that. We should not take the law into our own hands and to go and to take someone's life. That is an abomination. It is against what God is commanding us to do as we should be preservers of life and yet in this case we are taking lives the second thing that this goes against would be uh, taking of the life of a baby through abortion we live in a society of death that is so extreme that if you and i touch the egg of a bald eagle we can be sent to prison and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for touching a bald eagle's egg but can't for an abortion. Abortion is murder. It is even legalized murder. It is the taking of a human life. Do you know what the word fetus means in Latin? It's a Latin word. Baby. It means baby. Inside the culture, inside of the Old Testament, um, there was all of these cults and things like that, these worships of other gods, where they would often um, try to appease the gods, and many ways that they would do that would be the, through the killing of children. We even see that in Moses' life, do we not? That they're trying to remove whole generations of people. And what is God declaring inside of this understanding of don't murder? He is saying the, the, the practice of taking a child's life inside of their mother's womb is wrong. That it goes against the holiness of God. And yet, over 3,500 babies will be killed today. It doesn't even make logical sense inside of our, our system of government 
that so many people are practicing and pushing and supporting this understanding of the taking of human life, that they, that they will go even as far as to say, like, you know, this is right and this is wrong, it's a woman's choice, all of these sorts of things. And yet simultaneously inside of the court of law, if a drunk driver accidentally kills a woman who is pregnant with child and they both die, it's double homicide. It's, it's manslaughter times two. We have to look at the research. We have to look at the evidence. I mean, there are terrible cases out there of of rape and incest. But from all the statistics that I can find, 1% or less of women get pregnant because of rape. And it's 0.5% of women get pregnant due to incest. We have created a culture of death. A culture that should bring great anguish to us. A culture that God would not support. We cannot and should not have abortions or support in any way legislation that would allow for a child's life to be taken. We are pro-children because those children turn up to be adults, and we are pro-adult as well. This is a very serious offense against God to take another person's life, whether they are a small um, fetus, a baby inside of a mother's womb, or externally. This very command would tell you, do not support these acts. Do not practice these acts. Do not promote legislation in support of these acts. These are image bearers of God. And we as believers should be leading causes of protecting, fostering, and adopting these children. In a culture like ours that murders children, we should be all about their lives. The third type of death that this would call you not to participate would be in the murder of your own life. Self-murder, suicide. And there's all sorts of nuances about that. The taking of someone's life is just horrific as is the taking of someone else's life or the taking of a child's life, but the taking of your your own life. And yet we want to be filled with compassion and empathy toward people that they simply believe that their life is not of any value. And one of the things that this passage would remind you because of who God is, is that even when you believe that your life is not worth living, an almighty, holy God tells you that you have value. God is the God of life.
So we're sitting here. And, and maybe you're thinking like I have as I was preparing this sermon. I was like, well, you know, I, I, have, I have not taken a life of another person. Um, I have not had an abortion or, or supported an abortion. I have not voted to, to support uh, those who do. Um, I have I've not committed suicide, but honestly, there have been some very dark moments in my life where I've, I've had to remember such passages as this. And so I sit here in this, in this mindset, and I, I read this passage like, well, according to those, those three things, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this one. And, and you do the same thing. I mean, isn't this the standard for how good of a person you are in our society? I mean, I'm not perfect or anything, but I, I haven't killed anybody. I mean, this, this is the standard that we often come to. Like, this is the penultimate. Like the, like, the other five commandments don't really carry as much weight as this one. And yet, that's not what we see inside of Scripture. And so what do we do? We, we, if you're like me, it's like you run to Jesus, right? It's like, okay, Jesus, well, I, I'm pretty good. I, I haven't killed anybody. And so then we run to the incarnation of Jesus. And when we run to the incarnation of Jesus, well, Jesus is going to speak directly to this very law, does he not? I think I have it for you guys on the, the screen, if you'll hit it for me. Keep going. One more. There we go. In Matthew chapter 5, get this. Where is Moses right now? He's on top of a mountain. And what's taking place? God is giving him the, the commandments, the constitution, the vows for this new kingdom. Jesus comes on the earth. He's born. He lives at, at around 30 years of age. He starts his ministry, and his preaching ministry starts on the side of a mountain. And instead of God speaking from the clouds of thunder, he's speaking through the very lungs of this God-man named Jesus. And Jesus is establishing and preaching the greatest sermon inside of all of history, the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes and he talks to this very thing that in this new kingdom of his, guess what he still wants us to do? He wants to be preservers of life. He does not want us to take life. But listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26, you have heard it said, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool uh, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before you, the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So I go from feeling pretty good about myself... I run to Jesus, and Jesus throat punches you. Because you can check the box. You can say, well, man, I've not laid my hands on another person. I've not been violent toward another person. I haven't had an abortion. I haven't supported abortion. And at this point, you know, I've not taken my life. I'm here breathing right before you. I'm doing pretty good, Jesus. Can you go back to the passage for me? 
And so in that, we, we see here that God establishes that Jesus takes it even a step further. If you've ever taken a droplet of paint and you've dropped that on a piece of paper, have you ever noticed that that drop of paint just doesn't fall down to the surface and just kind of clump there? But rather, when it hits the surface, it spreads. Well, the Old Testament law is much like that drop. It, it hits the paper, but as you've seen every week, that there is a, an exhaustiveness to these commands. That, that it's not just this pinpointed understanding, don't kill. All right, we're good. No, 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 no. That God means much more. It, it spreads beyond just these physical actions, literally to the affections and the attitudes of humanity. Jesus equates being angry to murder itself. Jesus doesn't abolish this law. He takes it well beyond just physical harm because he's talking to a bunch of religious people. He's talking to the Pharisees and they're like, man, we ain't kill nobody, we're good. And Jesus is like, have you ever been angry towards someone? Have you ever insulted someone? Have you ever called someone a fool? My sister or my, me, we, I can't remember all these conversations, but sometimes in our house we'd say things like, oh, you being a fool, you foolish. And my dad, this is uh, one of the passages that he knew, he'd be like, the Bible says, uh, again, Colonel Sanders, um, rock, uh, call no man a fool. The word there, fool, is actually the Greek word, the raka. It has to do with any kind of any real insult that you can come up with toward another individual. Mashed potatoes can be a bad word. You knew that, right? We love filler words, right? We won't say the actual bad words, but we'll say words that rhyme, right? We'll, we'll fill them up with something because we don't want to sound that bad, but, but Jesus is speaking to the condition of our very hearts. Jesus is talking about, man, how do, how do we speak toward other individuals and that that is murder? He's also not, he's taking it even a step further than that because some of us are really good at smiling at you, each other. We're Southern. Bless your hearts. We're really good at being polite and, and not saying necessarily always exactly the way that we feel about someone. And we, we've come to learn a culture of somewhat, of, of being a certain way in front of people, only to get into our cars or even internally while you're talking, us totally dismantling the person that you are as we're having this eternal wrestling fight within us about the way that we really think about each other. From road rage down Scottsville Road, nobody's in the car with you. You know, you can flip them the international sign for hello. Nobody saw that. They didn't even see it. But Jesus is getting out about, man, what, what was your heart behind whatever you were feeling in that moment toward that person? You ever had somebody pull out in front of you and you tailgate them? Because that helps. When you can turn on the television and see 
parents at Little League games beating each other up on ball fields. When we become angry with somebody, and maybe it's even somebody who's hurt us, and so we, we feel like in retaliation that we get to insult them, that we get to hurt them in some way. I mean, have you ever questioned someone's worth, someone's value? I know that none of you have ever done this, but I'm imagining that there's some people at First Baptist or something who have rejoiced in the, the problems and pains of other people. Not, not you at mission, though. You're a bully from high school, like something happens, you go to your high school reunion, and they're like, not as pretty as they once were. You're like, ha, 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 right? Got him. You hear something bad happen to your enemy, a coworker, and there's not that tinge of rejoicing. None of you. We aggressively make remarks on social media without mentioning their names, but hoping and praying they'll read it. Man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. It's murderous. Jesus would say it's murderous for us to do those things. Man, I just hope that they really read this. I hope that this will change their mind because, you know, Facebook statuses have a tendency of transforming people's lives. Maybe this one. When I was a kid, I used to love Looney Tunes. Get up on Saturday mornings and actually play like good cartoons. I have no idea what's happening in cartoons nowadays. Glad my kids are out of that stage. Like I don't understand manga and uh, Pokemon. And my parents wouldn't let me watch The Simpsons because they said bathroom words, so we weren't allowed to watch that growing up. So I just, I just, I don't understand grown adults watching cartoons. I just think, it's a personal thing. I just think it's really strange. But man, we live in a whole culture. Most of my college students, they all watch like manga cartoons and they're completely obsessed with it. I, I don't get it. Hey, that's, that's their thing. But when I was a kid and cartoons were real and good, um, there was this thing called Looney Tunes. And there was this little angry cowboy named Yosemite Sam. You remember him? Big old mustache, big old guns. And he'd get so mad. He'd be like, frack him, frack him, low down, riff, rap, 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 And it'd just go on and on and on and on. Have you ever done that? Well, I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to exactly say, but you walk off just, frack him, frack him, low down, bam, bam, bam. I mean, right? You've had that moment? You're trying to do the right thing with your spouse? The Bible says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Or be slow to anger, be silent, slow to speak, all that sort of thing. And they're just mountain. And you're like, mmm, good for nothing, blah, 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 blah. This, anything you say, can and will be used against you. Thank you, Sawyer. Physical murder is the external evidence of a murderous heart. I don't think that people wake up believing today's the day I take someone's life. It's a slow progression of an angry heart. 
In 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Application. Friends, let me ask you some questions. You guys know I don't like to read much. But just to make sure I get these questions in, here you go. Friends, let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever physically taken the life of someone else? Have you ever had an abortion or supported, uh, supported abortion causes? Let's take it further like Jesus does. Have you ever cussed someone even if you didn't use a cuss word? Have you ever hated or had bitterness or anger in your mind or heart toward another person? Have you ever celebrated the downfall of another? Have you ever secretly plotted against someone or just hoped that some things would happen to someone that even right now, if I was to say, man, name me your enemy, that you could name that person and there would be much angst and ugliness and anger well, if we have broken any of these, then by our own admission, what is this room filled with? Murderers. And if that's the case, brothers and sisters, you and I are in very serious trouble. We're in very serious trouble. And yet, we have a very superior God. See, the gospel reminds us that Jesus, the one who explains this very law, is also the one who sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. Jesus, the leader of the new exodus, becomes the object of human anger. He becomes the laughingstock. He becomes the brunt of every joke. He is the one who is ultimately plotted against. He is the one who is betrayed by his friends. He, the, the ultimate image bearer of God, is stripped of his value, stripped of his dignity. He is mocked. He is beaten. He is paraded. Jesus is murdered. Sin, Satan, and death seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Yet what does Jesus do? Jesus lays down his life in our place in order that you and I might have a full and abundant life. He is the preserver of life by, by giving us our own very life. Instead of punishing all people as, as the sinful people that they are, God sees the perfect sacrifice of his son and, and applies his perfect faith, his perfect obedience as their very own. And instead of rightly punishing all, he takes the life of one in order to give life to many. So, fellow murderers, there is hope for you. If you've ever taken a life, Jesus saves murderers. If you have ever had an abortion or supported abortion type of legislation, then there is hope for you. Because Jesus saves women who have had abortions. 
Jesus saves abortion doctors. People work for Planned Parenthood. Guess what is it's available to them? Guess what can happen to them? Jesus can save them. Your friends and family members who have taken their lives, you need to understand this. If they were in Jesus, guess where they still are? They're still in Jesus. They did not commit the sin that Jesus did not die on the cross for. And if you've ever been a person who have wrestled with that deep, dark night of the soul, then I encourage you, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, friend, to look up, to look at Jesus, because he has kept a many of people from taking even their own lives. Because Jesus not only saves those and has saved those who have taken their lives if they're truly in Christ, but Jesus has saved many from even coming to the point. I've had several pastor friends with guns in their hands, and they're still pastoring, and yet simultaneously, man, we've lost many, especially in the last few years of pastors, to suicide. And if they were in Christ, guess where they are? They are still in Christ. There is hope for you, murderer. And his name is Jesus. And since Jesus has saved us, then guess what needs to take place? We too need to be adamant preservers of life. Let us join in that cause because it is the cause of Christ. Let's pray together.